Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I do want to go ahead and thank our latest Patreon supporter. Thank you to Joshua, supporting the show at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. Now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. Uh, The original air date on this one is February the 17th, 1952, and the title is Stolen Arsenal. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government. Their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. The infant republic of the Philippines is the great testing ground of transplanted democracy, American brand. When it was learned by our State Department that the Hooks, a communist-inspired group of Philippine rebels were using American-made weapons in their bloody raids, an immediate investigation was called for. And this is the story I pass on to you. In it, I play the role of Special Agent Donald Hines, the file case entitled Stolen Arsenal, in which only the names and places are fictional. Because I had served in the Navy in the South Seas, I was assigned to the job. My first contact was with a Mr. Manuel Zambales in Manila. He met me at the airport. I spotted him leaning against the steel wire fence, a thin, wiry-looking little man. Mr. Hines? Yeah? I am Manuel Zambales. Oh, glad to know you, Manuel. We will go this way, please. No, not through the rotunda. There is much tension in Manila now. The hooks are threatening to seize the city. The hooks are using American weapons, eh? Yes, sir. These same weapons that once depended us are now turned on us. In one village alone, 27 people lose their lives. And the, um, the source of these weapons is unknown? Mm, they are cunning, the hooks. They smuggle them in in old fishing junks. Where are you taking me now? Very close to here. To meet one of the hooks. These ruins we are passing now, they were once a modern housing project. Now, you said one of the hooks? We have those among us who serve as hooks. I want you to talk to this one. Uh, We stop here. Already? Watch your step. He here. 
burn match? A lighter. Give to me. Sure. So my face can be seen. We sit down and wait. Well, you're certainly cautious enough. <laughs> I doubt it. We have lost too many of our best. Manuel? A girl? Yes. It is I. Who is with you? An American friend who has come to help us. I'm glad you came. We need help. Mari served the Philippine course. She is with the hooks. Well, that's a dangerous game for a girl to be playing, Mary. It is a game that must be played, senor. Mr. Hines has been sent by his government to look into the matter of the American weapons. Yes. American light and medium tanks and field guns. I have seen them unloaded on the coast near Lincoln. Any idea of the exact operation? Operator unloads them at sea into little boats, one piece at a time. Do you have any description of the freighter? No. I do not dare ask too many questions. Well, a good description of the freighter would make things a lot easier, you know. Then I shall go to Lingayan and get it. Manuel, no. It must be done, Mari. You are known. The hooks. Cannot be helped. There is more at stake than one Manuel or one Mari. All that equipment has markings on it. If if I could get those, I, I might know where they came from. Perhaps this photograph you gave me, Mari, they might help. Photographs? Let's see them. I need a, need a little light here. I, uh, here is a good one of a six-inch cannon. Hmm, 1944 vintage. There's some markings on it. See if I can make them out. B, four, seven... Eight, oh. Those are the last two numbers. B, four, seven, eight, oh. Good. Well, that gives me a starting point. At Guam, they have complete records. And I will go to Lingayan to see what I can find out about the Prater. Um... When will you be back, Mr. Hines? Well, let's meet a week from today. Same place, same time. I must leave now. Manuel, please be careful. I have much to be careful for. Have I not, Mary? Yes, Manuel. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mary. A Philippine army plane flew me to Guam. It was hot and muggy on the island, a prelude to a tropical monsoon. In Lieutenant Commander Forsythe's office, however, there was a noticeable lack of warmth in the greeting I received. Come in, Mr. Hyde. Oh, thanks. I've been assigned to work on this with you, although my feeling is that this is purely a matter for the Navy. Well, I feel right at home, sir. I spent five years in the Navy. That was long ago. Mm, well, you have a chart of all the islands in the Caroline Group which hold war surplus material. I'd like to see it, please. On principle, I object strongly. It's most unusual to divulge information of this sort to a civilian investigator. These are most unusual circumstances, sir. Yes. Well, I've been ordered to cooperate. Here it is. Decoded. I'm looking for a weapon that has the following serial number. B-4780. B. All B prefixes are on this group of atolls, 91X to 94X inclusive. You're sure? In this branch of the service, we make it a point to be sure. In that case, the weapons which the hooks are using have been stolen off 91X. Impossible. These islands are continually patrolled and are accessible only by outrigger canoe. They have guards stationed on them? Civilian natives, small family groups, for maintenance purposes. How often are they patrolled? Every two, three weeks. Enough time to strip any one of them. No decent-sized ship would come within two miles of any of these islands. Well, there's only one way to find out. Let's go and see for ourselves. We loaded a fast patrol boat for a five or six day journey and headed for truck. From truck, we worked our way west. Everything was in order. To me, the trip was something like homecoming week. All these places had a familiar look to me. I even had a chance to brush up on my pidgin English with the natives. At Sorrel Islands, we began working our way back. 
We were approaching the small, uncharted groups of islands marked on my map as U.S. Territory X. Commander Forsyth ordered the engines stopped. This is a small one. Four islands in this group, 91 to 94. Half-tracks, light tanks, field guns. All right, men. Lower the boat. All set? Come on. Well, this island doesn't seem inaccessible. According to my chart, we should be heading into a sharp coral reef. Isn't it possible to blast through the coral? Yes, of course. That's how they made a channel so they could get into store the equipment. After they were through, they blocked up the passage again. Well, then they forgot to do this one. According to my information, it was treated the same way. You're not insinuating any breach. No, 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 sir. Not at all, not at all. Man by the name of Cholok looks after this one. We'll probably see his hut when we get up this bank here. Just a minute. Yes, what is it? These wheel marks coming down to the water's edge. Yes, I don't understand. I do. Come on. Cleaned out. 300 pieces of U.S. equipment. Disappear. We'd better lay my hands on this Cholok. There's his hut. Cholok! Cholok! Where are you, you thieving murderers? You're wasting your breath, Commander. He's either moved to another island or he's dead. Cholok's hut showed no signs of violence. Apparently, he'd been bought off by the captain of the pirate freighter and moved on. But islanders never moved too far, so we knew he must be in the vicinity somewhere. We sent our native boys out to make some inquiries, and soon we had his new address. Tulasuk Island. We paid him a visit. A whole procession of villagers followed us to Chuluk's tethered abacao hut. I hope your pigeon English holds up. <laughs> I do too. Here's his place. Chuluk! Hello, Texas! Um, me talk talk you. Okay, you come along me house, me talk talk. Okay. Chuluk, why you go go island? White man, him say she boss. Say go go, quick. Why him say go? Him say, come along, big boom, me die. Woman die, baby die. I, I, uh, I lost him there. They told him to clear out quick. Oh. Him take all the gun. What kind of ship him got? Ship? Water buckets. Oh, him big water buckets. One him big, big, big. One him, all right. Um, how him take guns? Him boom, boom, water. Uh, they blasted the coral. Used one big ship and one small one. Probably an LCVP. Mm. The LCVP ferried the guns out to the freighter and they were hoisted aboard. Uh, Commander, get me a stick, will you? I'm going to have him sketch the ship on the ground. Right. Um, how him look, big, big buckets? Oh, him uh, 12 big. Here's your stick. What does 12 big mean? Well, that's the highest number they can think of in terms of, uh... <laughs> well, it means very big. Uh, you made water buckets with stick, huh? Uh, mimic. Yeah. This is fellow man, bone dry. He dries too much. What in the world is... A tough guy. Uh, him say, me die, baby die. He's doing a good job with that stick. I make her out to be a freighter. How about you? Yeah, liberty type. Sometimes me find this fellow man, bone, he dry too much. You know him again? Me know him, done fool. Okay, you belong us? All the time, me belong you. All the time, me, Texas. <laughs> Come on, Commander. <laughs> 
And that was the thread out of which a whole cloth was to be woven. Somewhere in the South Pacific was a freighter with a captain and crew daring enough to raid a United States arsenal. Forsyth was insistent that the whole area be put on an emergency footing. Even while he was waiting with me at the airfield for the plane that would take me back to Manila, he kept trying to make his point. I'd have had my way. I'd have closed off every sea lane, every avenue of approach. I know, I know. But whoever raided that island would know it too and wouldn't come back. Our State Department wants to catch him, to set an example to others who might get similar ideas. That's the civilian approach. I'm completely dissatisfied. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's my pilot. In my report to my superiors, I intend to recommend a much more direct action. The people in this area must learn once and for all... Sure, sure. Anything you say. So long. Back in Manila, I spent a couple of days trying to locate and identify all Liberty-type freighters who might be operating in these waters. I finished up with a list of seven ships that I could consider worthy of further investigation. It'd be a long process and probably a fruitless one. I was in not too happy a frame of mind when I went that night to keep my rendezvous with Manuel. As Manuel had done, I snapped my lighter on so my face could be seen. Senor Heitz? Mari, I was expecting Manuel. He could not come. He's... he's all right, though. The answer to that is in God's hands. He joined the crew of the freighter, Colombo. That is the ship that brought the guns here. You know that for certain. The Colombo. Now, I have her on my list. But she's... she's under Panamanian registry. The crew's made up of hooks. Hand-picked for the daring. That Manuel is with him. Well, where was she bound? Australia, the first mate said. But he was lying. Ah. Colombo's on a Panamanian registry, yet the crew is hook. I don't quite understand. And here is something I find bitterly hard to understand. The captain of the Colombo. He is an American. Next day, I made a transoceanic phone call to my chief in Washington. I asked for a full report on the Colombo. He called me back later with the information I wanted. Five hours later, I was back on Guam. Forsyth's attitude toward me hadn't improved considerably. It's time you got back. (laughs) Well, out of the past 48 hours, I've flown 12 hours, worked 30, spent the next six hours in plain foolishness, such as sleeping and eating. I suppose it's the tropics. A guy gets lazy out here. All right, no speeches, please. What'd you find out? The name of the ship we're looking for, the Colombo, and the name of her American skipper, Captain Murdoch. Mm, good. Hope she's heading this way. Let her get into U.S. trust territory and... According we'll... to my information, she's going to Australia. Send out some of your reconnaissance planes and see if you can spot her. Tell them not to show too much interest in her. Perhaps you'd like to issue the orders direct to them yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. Guess I'm a little over-anxious. You see, I, I found out the Colombo is under Panamanian registry, but she's American-owned and operated... Oh, one of those deals, huh? Yeah. You know what I'd do if I could? Make some of these guys spend the monsoon season out here. Let them feel the 85-mile-an-hour wind and the rain that comes down on you like open pen knives. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, I have a plan that calls for immediate action. What's that? Some food, a shower, and a bath. <laughs> I'm all in. From that point, Commander Forsyth took over. And make no mistake about it, he knew his business. As the reports came in, he charted the course of the Colombo on the huge wall map in his office. At Sangi Island, the ship veered sharply to the east. When she hit San Sorrel, we were in U.S. territory. Finally, she changed course again, this time northeast to east. Her intent became clear. 
She's heading for 93X. Yeah. The Gaul, the colossal Gaul. Well, I better get moving. I want to be there to meet her. How long do you think it'll take her? She's moving fast, a little more than two days, I'd say. Well, that'll give me time. How many men do you want? None. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, an islander who speaks fair English, just the two of us. You can have sheep sheep, my orderly. Sheep sheep? <laughs> I'd like to have been at that christening. <laughs> One of those island nicknames. How about cover for you? What if something goes wrong? No cover, please. We want nothing to stop her from loading the stuff. You can you can get her when she's in the clear. This is the darndest thing. Taking orders a from... Suggestion. From a civilian... It's a good thing you were a Navy man at one time or uh, so. Once a Navy man, <laughs> always a Navy man. All right. And don't forget that. I won't, sir. Sheep Sheep, Forsyth's native boy, and I were flown to Forlet. And from there it was a half a day's trip by outrigger canoe to X-93. United States government demands that at least two reliable witnesses be prepared to testify to any criminal or fraudulent act. So, as we approached our destination, I swore in Sheep Sheep as a special agent. Category? Temporary. The islanders were only too willing to take off for different parts when Sheep Sheep explained why we were there. Under the roof rafters of the hut, I fixed a place where I had a commanding view of the shoreline as well as the approach to the house. At dawn of the third morning, I was awakened by the boy. Sore. You better wake up. Huh? Uh, where is it, boy? The boat. Mm. It is at anchor. Uh, oh, let's take a look. Yeah. Yeah, that's her. You better hide quick. The canoe, it is on beach. I did not see it before. All right, all right. Don't panic. I hope this platform holds me. Quick, sir. They are on bank. You afraid, boy? Sheep, sheep, never afraid. Good. Uh, who are you there? Hello there. Who's in charge? Me, sir. I am boss. Eh? All alone? Mother and father go to Ulil, sir. You lying landlubber. No one else with you on the island? No, sir. It don't make sense. But then nothing in this whole wild Pacific Ocean makes sense. I think I'll go into your hut and look around. Very well, sir. Yeah, I guess it's all right. But you'd better not be lying to me, boy. Never lie. All right. I have orders from the United States government to move all this equipment off. The guns and tanks? Everything. But the patrol, they say nothing. Never mind arguing. You can't win and I can't lose. I've kissed the Blarney Stone. Have you? No, sir. <laughs> all right, then, lad. Just give me a hand. You have papers? Well, now, if that isn't the luck of the Irish, one literate islander in the South Pacific and I had to find him. <laughs> Here's your documents. Thank you, sir. Now, why would they be leaving a million dollars worth of stuff with one man and a young one at that? Sheep sheep, very strong. Sheep sheep's got a wagon tongue in his head. Where's your lumber? In back of hut, sir. Call me captain, you swab. I'm a seagoing captain, you understand? A license? Oh, now, what's the use? Come on, give me a hand. We're building a ramp to the shore. But the coral reef, it is impossible to... We're blasting a channel through it. Come on now, young dick swabber. smooth, clever operation, and the boy and I could testify to it all. The blasting of the coral reef to make a channel for the LCVP. Descriptions of the material as it was loaded and taken away. The hoisting of the stuff on board the Columbo. At dusk on the fourth day, Murdoch trudged up to the hut. Sheep Sheep had just started preparing the evening meal. Captain, 
I thought you had gone back to your ship. Yeah, I come back to tell you we were through here. Uh, but you'd uh, you'd better clear out soon. By tomorrow night, the planes will be dropping them new bombs on this place. Yes, sir. I surely go. Yeah. Smells good. What are you making for supper? Lapu lapu. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a heap of grub for one man. Sheep sheep eat enough for his brother too. What's that? Maybe wind. Yeah. Well, I'll be shoving off, and mind you do too. And you're not to talk to anyone about what's happened here. Uh, here's a little something for your trouble. Money, sir. Ten dollars. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Cut your lions even talk, son. You was expecting at least twenty dollars. <laughs> now, weren't you? No, sir. No, sir. All right. All right. Take care of yourself. <laughs> You may come down now, sir. No. No, he's suspicious. The captain's wise. I have a hunch he let the boat go and stayed behind himself. Look, boy, if he comes back, don't look up here. Go on, eat your supper. As you say. It is very good, this lapu-lapu. Shall I give you some? No, thanks. Not now. There's someone outside. Quiet. Uh, I thought maybe I'd have a bite with you after all, lad. Welcome, Captain. I heard boat go back, and I thought you... I'd gone back with it? Your friend is smarter than you are. The gun, sir. Why you hold it? That is to persuade your friend to come down. What do you say after? There's no one there, Captain. No? Shall I shoot through the boards to prove it? No. One more chance. Are you coming down? All right, Captain. Saints of Ireland, wait a minute. Well, sit down, mister. Thanks. Maybe you'd care to explain. I always had the feeling that the lad was lying, and I don't know why. Then when I seen the amount of food... Uh, what are you saying for yourself, mister? Well, I've been living with this boy's people for a long time. I'm wanted in the States. That's true, Captain. Years and years. Oh, my, my, my. I was afraid it'd be a yarn like that. No, Captain. It's truth. Well, that's neither here nor there. Main thing is, you saw too much and you know too much. You'd better come along with me, both of you. Me? But I cannot... Come along. I don't know what I'm going to do with you, but whatever it is, it won't be good. Leave the boy stay here. This has nothing to do with him. Move. The LCVP was waiting for us, and using his gun for emphasis, the captain invited us in for a ride to the Columbo. On board the ship, we were taken below deck to a little cabin. It, it's so dark here. I can see nothing. <laughs> the conveniences aren't all they should be. My mother, she won't worry. Oh, we'll be all right, boy. We'll be out of here soon. And the girl I was to marry, she will be very angry if, if I die. Oh, stop talking nonsense. Commander Forsythe will have us out of here in a few hours. The commander said so? Yeah. Then we will be safe. Quiet, someone's at the door. Yes, who's that? We'll let him load the ship purposely, Manuel. Then we'll seize her with the cargo aboard. But you have not lived to give the evidence. Don't worry about that, Manuel. Somebody's coming. Quiet, boy. Uh, stay where you are, gentlemen. You needn't rise. Thank you. I wish things hadn't turned out this way, but uh, you had no right to interfere with the wheels of industry. Industry? Sure. My own particular industry. Hiring myself out to the highest bidder. 
But killing ain't my line, and it saddens me to think I may have to look after you two in such a manner. Why? We do nothing bad. Or it's them hooks. They got it in mind that you two are spies, and them hooks, they'd just soon kill a man as eat. Well, I can tell you a few things that may govern the action you take. Five or six miles out, you'll be met by a group of American naval ships. Oh, an interesting revelation, and you speak with some authority. I do. I'm a special agent, United States federal government. You got papers to prove it? I don't need papers to prove it. You'll know it soon enough. Well, I sure hate to mess around with the federal boys. On the odd chance that you aren't bluffing. I'm not. It'd go pretty bad for me if you weren't around when and if they got to me. Very bad. They'll be expecting me to pull a banker in the morning. They'll be waiting for you whenever you try it. Maybe not. Well, one thing to do, make a run for it. What's so funny? If they sink the ship, you go down with it. If we get through, the Hucks want you. Either way, you lose. In 20 minutes, the ship was underway. Her engines picked up speed quickly. She was traveling fast and with no lights. The ships, I hope they are there. They will be. We have already traveled five miles. Mr. Hines! Manuel! Quick. They're going to run for it and we may be fired upon. Get us out of here or we haven't a chance. Right away! A searchlight. I saw it. Another one, sir. A circle of ships around us. Oh, isn't that a sweet sight? Look, sir. Other ships are moving in. We'll have to stop. I pray that you are right. Good boy, Manuel. Lean on it. Support, sir. It has stopped. Here, Mr. Hines. I have brought some pistols. We can fight our way up to the deck. That won't be necessary. Listen. Ahoy! Stand by for boarding! Come on, let's get on deck. We got to the bridge a little behind Commander Forsyth. Murdoch stood waiting for him, his feet planted wide apart. He was unarmed and smiling. You are in command. Lieutenant Commander Forsyth, at your service. Captain Jeffrey Murdoch, it's yours, sir. Your ship is in custody, sir. Yes. My compliments to you, Commander, for as fine a bit of maneuvering as I've ever seen. Thank you. Consider yourself under arrest, Captain. At your service. Uh, you'll do me the courtesy of not putting handcuffs on. My crew, sir, I wouldn't like them. To Naturally. See. Come along, in. Murdoch had gambled and lost. My job was done. I'd made my final report to the Philippine authorities and was at the airport waiting for my plane to take off. I had two young friends with me. Someday, senor, you will come back and find the islands at peace. I hope it's soon, Marie. You have done your share, Mr. Heinz. Oh, I had a job. I was lucky enough to see it finished satisfactorily. You will be back someday? I'll be back twice. In the spirit, if not in the flesh. Twice, sir? Yeah. Once when Manuel gets his degree at the university. And the second time? When your first boy is named after me. <laughs> that will be a fine name. Donald, Heinz, Querido, Manuel, Julian, El Siore, Zambales.
This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The recapture of the stolen arsenal closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men. The special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving an American agent held hostage in an Iron Curtain country in a file case entitled Confess or Die, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Jack Crucian, George Neese, Junius Matthews, and Jeffrey Silver. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. Before you buy a house, an automobile, or any expensive item, you usually consult an expert for his opinion. That's good common sense. But when you drive, do you consult the experts, or do you endanger your life and the lives of others? One man who is an expert is the man who drives for a living, the truck driver. You should drive carefully and courteously. Use your common sense as well as observing all of the traffic regulations. Careful driving can save a life, and the life you save may be your own. Tomorrow, it's the City Service Silver Radio Jubilee on NBC. Welcome back. Well, it was kind of fun to see uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. encounter some pushback. Uh, I think throughout this series so far, there's been great interdepartmental uh, cooperation within the federal government, which doesn't always happen. So it's good to see at least some reluctance and somebody who's like, hey, I've got my territory and nobody encroaches on it. Even though he does eventually go along, it's nice to have someone who, you know, puts up a little bit of a fight for variety's sake, if nothing else. This is obviously an aspect of the Cold War Uh, that you don't really think about. But uh, this is one of so many little issues that the United States dealt with and with uh, the communists uh, during this time. I also was intrigued by the serious treatment of uh, pidgin English. Uh, And usually, like, the media where I've seen it in, which, and I guess what stands out to me was, you know, growing up, there was some Looney Tunes episodes that kind of just poke fun at the whole notion of this. But this actually treats the whole concept seriously. These sort of pidgin languages essentially allow two people groups who don't share a common language to kind of have like a shorthand language that they communicate important concepts in. And as I researched it, it was not a joke at all. It's a legitimate and serious way of uh, being able to communicate that's used by a wide variety of different groups around the world. So it was kind of educational to see how that worked out in this episode. We turn now to listener comments and feedback and have a question from Lynn. Lynn writes in on Facebook, I was wondering why there 
are so few episodes of The Thin Man available when there are over 300? Were they just erased or lost? Are they available at cost somewhere else? Thanks. Well, thank you so much for the question, Lynn. Uh, I guess the answer to the question, uh, I guess last question is, uh, there are some additional episodes, at least according to Digital Daily FTP, that are in circulation among uh, uh, collectors, but you really can't uh, get them. You know, they're known to exist, they haven't been digitized, they haven't been shared, uh, because of collectors' insecurities and concerns with uh, the way some of these uh, things are handled. Uh, you know, I talk about episodes that are, you know, in circulation. I'm talking about things that, you know, are circulated around or digitized and that uh, people can freely trade. And that's what you're looking at with The Thin Man. You have eight complete episodes. There are a few partials, uh, though I don't do them. And they, uh, you know, on this podcast, and they don't do a whole lot of good for anyone unless you're a completist who just wants to have everything that's out there, whether it's complete or not. Obviously, there are a lot of factors in what can make a program available. A lot of the Thin Man Radio's run came through uh, World War II, and uh, there were a lot of programs lost uh, during the war just because transcription discs uh, were made of materials that were needed for war. And so a lot of the old transcription discs got uh, uh, used for war materials. There were uh, glass transcription discs that were used, but those were not as stable. Uh, so there's an issue with a lot of uh, programs during the war not uh, surviving. And most of those that did survive in circulation were from Armed Forces Radio Services programs. Uh, now, of course, though, there were quite a few episodes of The Thin Man after the war, and some that appeared on networks where you would think there would be a lot of episodes available, but there just aren't. And sometimes it's just a matter of luck. Unless the program was syndicated, it was essentially intended to be a one-shot airing. And the transcription disc that it was aired on was supposed to be destroyed. Uh, what has happened is that not all of the discs were destroyed, and some of these were uh, acquired by collectors. You know, even on a day like, you know, a radio station was about to toss a bunch of old transcription discs, like in the early 60s or something, to clear out some space, and some collector showed up and said, hey, you got those discs? I'd kind of like, can I have those? And might even take them without paying for, paying for them at all, just the radio station, sure, you can have them. And that's how a whole bunch of programs come into circulation. And some programs have been very lucky based on. And it's very much, you know, luck of the draw. Some programs do what you would expect. If uh, you have a program with a wide uh, uh, circulation across a wide number of networks, you create more opportunities uh, for transcription discs to be spared 
and be available for collectors to pick up and acquire. And if, say, you're only on one or two stations, then you've got a much less chance of uh, having your uh, programs preserved. Uh, you know, but it doesn't always work out that way. You know, uh, Candy Matson was a series that only rare aired regionally for two years, on the other hand, you have Hearthstone of the Death Squad, which aired for one year as its own series, but also had aired previously to that as the uh, sole feature on CBS Mystery Theater for two years. So there were a total of three years for Hearthstone of the Death Squad. National uh, broadcast audience, Armed Forces Radio Services rebroadcast, Yet there are 14 episodes of Candy Matson in circulation and only three of Hearthstone of the Death Squad. Uh, it's one of those things where I think I would prefer if there were more rhyme and reason about why these things worked or didn't work, but sometimes it really is just luck of the draw. There are some factors that can explain uh, why there are less programs in circulation, uh, but it really does come down to the fact that some collector was lucky enough to acquire some transcription disc before they got jumped, or to acquire a home recording or something like that. So I hope that answers your question. Again, maybe not the most satisfying answer that is what it is, as they say. All right, well, I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Kristen, Patreon since January, currently supporting us at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Kristen, and that'll do it for today. Join us back here on Monday for Casey Crom Photographer, and then we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.